0: Morning. Hey, uh very very quickly before we get into the message, uh you know the very first time that we went to Rwanda as a church, we sent uh, six great people. Uh, the next time we went, we sent 10, and then the last time that we went in 2018, 14 people went. And while I was there in 2018 in Kigali in the capital city, I felt like the Lord really put on my heart uh, a specific number. I felt like he was saying, "David, pray for 25 people." To go in 2020. That's a huge leap if you think 6, 10, 14, 25 people to go. And so I've been praying for that for almost two years. Uh, at our prayer meetings in the cafeteria before the service for the last month or so, we've been praying that 25 people will go. And amazingly, check this out, 24 people signed up to go to Rwanda. Now, that is unbelievably close to the number that we've been praying for for two years. I don't normally talk like this at all but I just think come on there has got to be somebody in this room where the lord told you to go. I mean stop laughing. I mean serious. Where the lord told you to go and you said no. And I just want to tell you this morning he is coming after you. And you need to go. All right? So if that's you now stop laughing. No, seriously, if that's you, uh, I want you to come. I want you to come with us and just say yes. I just feel like—that's oh, just so amazing that it's so close to them. It's such a big number. Uh, just come t- talk to me after the service. Okay. All right. You know, I find that uh, most big projects are overwhelming at the outset. Even just getting yourself to do your taxes can feel overwhelming. Amen? Uh, but most of us know that if we just put one foot in front of another, that we'll get there and we can get some of our biggest, biggest tasks accomplished. But what about the big things of life that seem almost unsolvable? Like the things that are beyond just our own personal effort. Like, let me give you some examples. Uh, What about getting Americans to talk about politics with some civility again? Well, that feels impossible, right? Or what about trying to decrease drug addiction in this country? or bringing the suicide rate back down. So when we sit and we think about how massive those problems are, most of us will never do anything because we, we think we reason the little dent that we personally would make in the problem won't even matter, so why even do anything? Well, here's the deal. Jesus is going to challenge some of our assumptions about solving big problems today. In fact, I want you to look at this. There's a Bible under every chair. Everybody, get a Bible out in some capacity. Uh, if you grab the one from under your chair, we're on page 847. If you use the one on your phone, uh, you just use the Renovation Church app. Uh, tap Bible and Weekly Verses. We are continuing in the Book of Luke. In the New Testament. uh, This is one of just four books in the Bible that have the teachings of Jesus in them. Uh, And we're looking at just four verses today. Uh, Page 847, Luke chapter 13, and we will start at verse 18, which is kind of the little number you're looking for. Here's what it says. It says, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Uh, we're going to spend uh, most of our time this morning uh, focusing on that mustard seed a metaphor, uh, and specifically the man who planted it. So Jesus tells us that this man, in verse 18, he says, this man plants the mustard seed in his garden. So this man is some type of gardener. Now, we don't know if he's if it's just his hobby or if he is a professional gardener, but what we do know is there's some things we can learn from him, and what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three lessons from the gardener, and I hope these will increase your faith. So here's the very first lesson. Uh, lesson number one that you can learn from the gardener. Number one, he has a garden. Okay. Now, before you laugh at me again and say, David, this is just so obvious. I don't even need to write this down. I think that when it comes to our faith, this is actually not obvious at all. And it is an incredibly necessary point for us to explore from this text. See, this man is like most of you. In his own hand is a seed. Now, a seed in the New Testament shows up in a whole bunch of different parables. And the seed is almost always representative of the word of God or the gospel. If you've never heard that word before, the gospel just means the good news, the good news that Jesus can save you. So this man, he has the word. He knows it. It's in his hand. He knows God. He has a relationship with God. He knows that Jesus can save him so far he's just like a lot of us in this room but where he's different than a lot of us in this room is he has a garden see i find nowadays that far too many american christians don't have a garden there is no sphere of their life in which they are sowing god's word into another person hoping to see something result They are merely what we could just call consumer Christians. They're they're, they're coming, they're learning, they're receiving, they're enjoying God's presence. See, everything is coming in, but they're never taking it and then planting it in another person. They're just consuming. Some people call these uh, people dead-end Christians. It just sort of stops here. They're never planting in another garden. And it's all sort of odd, because it's not that they're against planting. I find that these people actually really love to watch other people plant in their respective gardens. And maybe that's you. Uh, maybe online you, you follow missionaries. Uh, maybe missionaries like uh, Ben Pierce, who uh, speaks here often. He's actually coming uh, two weeks from today to speak at our church. And maybe you you look at what he's doing in his life with Steiger and you just rejoice at all the planting that's happening uh, overseas. Uh, Maybe you follow some of our church plants on social media and you just rejoice at seeing what God is doing in some different cities. Or maybe you read the books or you listen to the podcast of some famous Christian author or some famous Christian pastor and you just love to watch them plant, but you never actually plant anything yourself. Uh, You're like the person who's obsessed with HGTV, like many of you are, but you never actually do any of that stuff yourself. You just like to watch other people do it. But here's the thing. God has intended that each and every one of you has a garden. Do you have one? Is there some sphere in your life in which you are passing on what God is growing in you? This is our most important task as believers, to be disciples that disciple someone else. Otherwise, the message of Jesus is just going to die out in our land. In fact, I just uh, read an article this week. It was maybe like three or four days ago. Uh, one of uh, the large mainline Protestant denominations in America was just informed of this week that at their current rate of decline, that they will cease to exist in America in just 30 years. They're declining so fast, there will be none of their churches left in 30 years. And why is that? Well, this is the same way in all of history. You can trace it back to one thing. They stopped believing that the Bible was the word of God. And when you think you know better than the Bible... Well, then there's no reason to obey God's word, right? And if you're not obeying God's word, thus you're never going to share it with anyone because you don't even believe it. And if none of the people in your denomination have a garden where they're then passing it on to someone else, then it's over. So get this, this stat is just mind-blowing to me. In 1966, there were 3.6 million Americans in this denomination. And in just 30 years, the the studies are showing there will be zero. That's a loss of 3.6 million adherents in just a couple of generations. If we stop planting, we stop growing. So where is your garden? Where is your garden? You're not going to see God do anything miraculous through you without a garden. Who are you planting seeds in? Who are you talking to about God's love? Who are you helping to disciple? All right, let me give you a a second lesson I think we can take from the gardener in this small passage. Uh, Number one is he has a garden. Number two is he believed in the power of a seed. Now, this same passage can actually be found in two other gospels in the Bible. You can find it in Matthew Uh, And you can find it in Mark. And in Matthew, Jesus also tells us that the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. And yet, he says, becomes the largest of the garden plants. And indeed, in those days, the mustard mustard seed was, in fact, the smallest seed that farmers and gardeners used. But actually, it could grow, a mustard plant could grow to 8 or 10 feet tall in some cases, but I want to show you how small the mustard seed is. So take a look at this picture. Uh, here, this is just a comparison to uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, right there. You can see it's incredibly small. Or look at this. This is now in the hand of a gardener. It's so small that if you were a gardener, and let's say you were just holding one of those seeds, you might look at that and say, this is nothing. This is nothing. This is so powerless. What is this going to do? but the gardener plants it anyway. Why? Well, because he knows, he believes that even though it's small, it can become great. And he does that because he knows that there is power in the seed. He's not putting a marble in the ground. He's putting a life giving seed in the ground. I do not want you to miss this revelation from God's word today. Okay. This is so important. I think one of the main reasons that so many American Christians are petrified to talk to anyone about God is we forget this. We forget that the power is in the seed, not in us. It is not your job to make the seed grow. You don't have to just say it just right every time. You don't have to know the answer to every question. You don't have to be incredibly bold. You don't have to have perfect timing. God is going to do the work. Uh, let me show you this elsewhere from the scriptures. One of my favorite parables in the New Testament uh, comes from Mark chapter 4. And it, really fascinatingly, it comes immediately before this same mustard seed passage in Mark chapter 4. Take a look at this. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 26. He, Jesus, also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how. The seed is just growing by itself. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. This gives me a ton of peace as a, as a follower of Jesus. It's not my job to make a seed grow, to change a person's life. Only God can raise the dead and bring someone to life spiritually. My responsibilities are really simple. It's just simply this. It's just have a garden, plant a seed. I can't change someone. I need to declare something. If, if, if they don't hear it from us, Romans says this, if they don't hear from us, how will they know? I gotta have a garden, I gotta declare something, but I don't make it grow. The power is not in the gardener, the power is in the seed. And I just wonder, is, is it perhaps because we don't recognize that, that we're so afraid to talk about Jesus to other people? Yeah, a, a few weeks ago, when uh, we had a guest speaker, John Alexander was here uh, preaching. Uh, I was actually gone because I was a guest speaker somewhere else uh, at a church in my hometown. And while I was there, I was talking to them about the power of God. And I said, listen, we need to stop looking at non-believers through worldly eyes. We need to stop looking at people and saying, oh, that person, they are never going to come to Christ. This is never going to happen. They're just so far gone. I said to them, when you say that, you are thinking only about yourself and about them and what's happened is you've completely subtracted god out of the equation and then i said to them and just preaching in my hometown i said listen some of you know this and some of you knew me growing up growing up my friends thought that i would be the last person ever to become a christian but once the seed got planted and began to really grow, well, then nothing could stop it. See, our job isn't to change hearts. It's just to plant seeds, powerful, life-changing seeds. And listen, we don't know what every seed will do. Jesus says in the parable of the sower, another parable about seeds, he says not every seed takes root. But we're to trust all things, even that, to God's sovereignty. Okay, there's a third lesson from the gardener in Luke 13. The third one is this. The gardener sees the exponential blessing of one seed. That exponential word is really important. This is sort of baked into the metaphor here. When you hold just a tiny, tiny mustard seed in your hand, it's hard to imagine what it will accomplish. Even as it grows, I think it can still be hard because the growth of a mustard seed is not fast. There's a lesson here about christianity about the kingdom of god a mustard seed doesn't grow at warps at warp speed right it doesn't explode it just works slowly over time but there's a living power in them and if you wait if you have patience you will see it and in fact you'll see a growth that goes beyond all of your expectations Uh, i heard it explained this way once uh, and i've always felt like this was really helpful Okay, if a mustard seed has a head-on collision with a sidewalk, who's going to win? Right, The sidewalk. You drop a mustard seed, it's just going to bounce right off the side. That was the wrong so- sound effect. Psh, that was like an explosion. It won't <laughs> explode. It will simply ricochet right off the sidewalk, right? But if you plant the seed deep, deep down in the soil underneath the sidewalk, and you just give it time, eventually that mustard seed grows into this tree that's even going to crack right through the concrete. That's the power of gradual growth. And what's interesting, I think, about the kingdom of God is that Jesus so often in the New Testament talks about the exponential power of small things. Now think about this. I know some of you haven't read a lot of the New Testament yet, but for those of you that have, Think about the small things that Jesus talks about. He talks about the power of just one cup of cold water to someone. Uh, The one priceless pearl. Uh, The widow's two small copper coins. The boy who brought just the two fish and the five loaves. The twelve young disciples. I mean, just think about this. Jesus is teaching over and over again that in his kingdom, it starts small, but then slowly over time, it makes a significant difference impact. In fact, this is really similar to the second metaphor that was in our passage, where the yeast eventually bakes through all of the dough, and it has this tremendous impact, even though in and of itself, it's very, very small. And this is how the kingdom of God grows. It starts with just one seed. It's just one conversation you had about God with someone, right? Maybe just one Facebook post you had about just the goodness of God in your own life, maybe it's just one time you offered to pray for a coworker worker was having a hard time it's just one seed it starts it's not flashy it's not about getting power the kingdom of god is always about coming under it's not prideful i think this is another place where the seed metaphor really matters like you can't really get prideful about planting seeds right it is not hard work to plant a seed in the ground you can't plant a seed in the ground and be like oh man nobody plants like me. Like it's not going to happen, right? You planted a seed in the ground. You don't get the credit. God gets the credit for the life that grows out of it. But see, I just think this all runs against our nature, and maybe that's why we misunderstand this. We, we as humans, we don't want to plant a seed. We'd rather build the Tower of Babel. This is like the story in Genesis chapter 11 where humanity tries to build a tower to the heavens to prove how great they are. But that is not the way of God. Jesus is saying, okay, that's not my way. This is not my way. I don't want you as Christians to build yourself up to the sky. Instead, my way, you really want to see kingdom growth come out of your life. My way is instead not you building yourself up. My way is you get on your knees. And you get down and you plant a seed into the ground humbly, and I'll make it grow. That's the posture of a Christ follower. And then the tree grows, it starts to have impact, right? We see that in the passage. The birds even come and they can rest on its branches and they they get to live and, and relax in its shade. But it's not just growth. There's an exponential piece to this that we can't miss. I just think the imagery is so rich in this passage. And this is why we want to walk slowly through the Bible as we study it. Okay, so when a mustard seed has grown into the largest of the garden plants, you might even call it a tree, right? If you walk by it and it was 10 feet tall, what happens? Well, eventually, it will do what God created it to do, and it will reproduce by seeding. And then, more mustard trees, more mustard plants will grow. Jesus does not want us to miss this metaphor of exponential growth. Okay, so think about this. Jesus, he trains, personally, just 12 disciples. Isn't that fascinating? It's not like Jesus, I mean, he was on earth for, say, 33 years. It's not like he trained 5,000 people to go spread Christianity, just 12 this is mustard seed stuff. But then those 12 told others and trained others who told others and trained others who told others and trained others. And in just 300 or so years, this little tiny small movement from the backwoods of the Roman empire takes over the whole empire. And basically the whole Roman empire is following Christ. That is exponential growth from a tiny mustard seed. But we cannot forget that Exponential growth requires reproduction. Just one seed growing into a large tree is not exponential. See, this is one of the things that greatly, personally worries me about the American church right now. Two things. Firstly, that we have so many American Christians in our seats that do nothing more than sit in the seat. And they call it Christianity. That ought to worry you that that's happening all over our country. And there is no reproduction. They have no garden. They are not making disciples. That is not the imagery that Jesus is teaching us from his word. And then secondly, my worry is this, that there are too many churches that are more concerned about building the tall tower of their own kingdom than they are of helping God's kingdom reproduce beyond themselves. Uh, Too many American churches spend all of their energy, all of their effort, trying to just get to a number. Trying to just get to 500 people, or 1,000 people, or 2,000 people. And that's all they think about. Growing their own kingdom. Now listen, it's not bad to have a large church. It's not bad to try and reach your city for Christ. That's great. But the kingdom of God is meant to be exponential. It's meant to be an exponential reproducing movement. It's a mustard seed movement. Like We can't miss the agricultural reproductive ramifications of this passage. Let me tell you something. This church is probably never going to be the largest church in the metro. However, we believe that our impact may be even greater than the largest churches in the metro. And here's why. We don't, yes, we want to reach people for Christ here. We're so serious about that. That's why we're doing this thing next week. But we don't want to just amass people in. We want to send people out. Like the mustard seed, we want to reproduce. Let's just do some math, okay? Let's just show you this mathematically. I can talk about it from a vision standpoint, but I just want to prove prove it to you with some math here. There are, at our church this morning, there will be, I don't know, you know, it goes up and down, there'll be somewhere between 500 and 550 people. But in our church plants, the churches we've already started out of our church, there will be over 700 people in their churches already this morning. That's reproduction. And as we continue to grow as a church, what will happen is we will continue to plant more churches. In fact, we'll be able to plant them even faster. And not only that, it won't be long now until our church plants begin to start their own churches and we become a grandparent church. You know what that is? That is exponential reproduction. That's what Jesus is talking about when he uses the mustard seed metaphor, and so, yeah, the growth is a bit slower at first, honestly. And no, this is probably never going to be a mega church of 5,000 people. But here's the thing. 25 years from now, if someone were to draw a church family tree, and let's say renovation church was at the trunk of the tree, and you just began to draw out, let's see, 25 years from now, maybe our 25 or 35 church plants out of renovation church, And you put them all on the tree, and then out of there, you began to even draw the churches that they have started. 25 years from now, I won't even be remotely surprised if there are over 20,000 people on that tree. That is how God's kingdom works it is not flashy, it's a mustard seed. It's not often fast, but it is exponentially powerful. And it is always about him. You you know one of the things that I love most about that Renovation Church tree? Of the 20,000 some people on that tree someday, almost none of them will know who we are. Sometimes we say here that we want to be the most influential church in Minnesota that nobody knows anything about. How many of you in this room know who Pastor David Nelms is? Raise your hand if you know who he is. None of you. Pastor David Nelms does not have very many people in each of his churches, and that's probably why you don't know him, because in America, we love Tower of Babel Kingdom, right? We just love one tree growing really large. See, I bet if I started listing off the names of pastors who uh, pastor churches of 10,000 people or 20,000 people, you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I recognize them. I I listen to their podcasts. I've seen them on YouTube. I read their book. Again, not bad to have a big church and reach a lot of people for Christ. I, I, I love what most of them are doing. However, we would be reaching this world for Christ a lot faster if most of us did ministry like David Nelms, whom none of you even know about. David Nelms is the man who started the Timothy Initiative. Uh, Maybe that rings a bell with you. The Timothy Initiative is a ministry that we actually support as a church. Uh, In fact, 5% of all of your offerings to our general fund goes straight into international missions, and a portion of that goes to the Timothy Initiative. In fact, we give $333 to them every single month, and here's why. $333 plants one international church in their ministry. Isn't that amazing? So check this out. David Nelms started the Timothy Initiative 13 years ago. It's not even that long, and it is an incredibly simple model, and it is a fantastic example of mustard seed exponential reproduction. In fact, I'm going to show you just a quick video, because I want you to see what a mustard seed movement can look like. Check out how they do their ministry. Take a look at this.
1: TTI has developed a training process that centers on disciples making disciples, what we call DMD. This is the vehicle that drives our church planning strategy around the world. We believe every believer is a disciple and every disciple is called to be a disciple maker. This process has three phases and takes between 18 to 24 months. During the first phase, each church planner begins with evangelism and discipleship in their target area. They specifically pray for the lost in their community and are trained to actively share the gospel and plan a church. During the second phase, each church planner is trained through a 10 course curriculum that covers the entire Bible, emphasizing church planning throughout the process. They apply what they've learned by planning a new church with at least three unrelated families that meet regularly for prayer. Bible study, worship, and fellowship. The church planner also identifies at least two future church planners from within its new church and intentionally disciples and mentors them to do just as he has done. In the third phase, each church planner is mentored one on one in small groups by a local church planning coach. During this time, we look to address the issues and needs that arise in the life of the new church. In addition, Each church planner actively helps their two disciples plan a church in their target areas. The key to fulfilling the Great Commission is found in disciples making disciples. This process is founded on relationships that expect spiritual multiplication and obedience based discipleship that produce churches anchored to and sustained by the Word of God.
0: That is mustard seed stuff. but You tell someone the gospel, you train them how to follow Jesus, and train them how to tell someone the gospel, and it just keeps happening and reproducing. It's exponential reproduction. Now, before you look at this and you say, oh, that is really neat. Oh, cute. There's this thing happening kind of internationally, and somebody's starting a church, and they train someone else to start a church. Like, good for them, but there are no Andy Stanley or Craig Groeschel or some other famous pastor that you can think of. In 13 years, through reproducing small churches all over the globe, the Timothy Initiative in just 13 years has reached 1.5 million people for Christ. You did not hear me incorrectly. I just said they have reached 1.5 million people for Christ in the last 13 years. In fact, they have started in this model 76,775 churches. Most of them are not large at all, but it doesn't matter. See, the mustard seed power of this particular movement is cracking through the concrete of hard-to-reach places that other missionary agencies haven't been able to touch for centuries. See, if everything in Christianity is just about growing our own little kingdoms, then we will never reach the world for Christ. But if we learn from the mustard seed and we each get a garden and we trust in the power of God's seed again and we commit ourselves to exponential reproduction, then we are going to see God do spectacular things even through us, the people of Renovation Church. Let me pray. Lord, we, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for this example of What it looks like to just stoop low, to humble ourselves, and just see the gospel go forth. I pray that you would do that through this church, God. I pray that 25 years from now, Lord, that there would be this massive tree coming out of this church. And there would be so many thousands of people that have come to Christ because of what's happened starting right here in this North Point Elementary School gym. God, may your seed of life go forward into the city, into this metro, into the state, and around the world. We just love you so much. Amen.